That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show Is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnekin. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show is All About You. Thanks for taking so much of your time around the holidays this next hour to spend with me as a little bit of a special episode today. Going to be doing, a, I guess, my own version of a year in review uh, episode. I'm looking forward to that. Got a few things to chat about and a few things to uh, leave 2022 on uh, for the rest of you. Uh, because I'm going to be taking the next uh, couple of weeks off. So this is the last show of 2022. So if you are listening to this show on Mondays on uh, Kixie 880 in Seattle, uh, you'll get some repeats the next couple of weeks, uh, some oldies but goodies, maybe a couple of my favorites uh, from the past year. Um, and certainly if you're listening to this as a podcast, it'll uh, a new episode will upload uh, early on in the new year. So uh, a few weeks from now, we'll be right back to it. But I'm going to take some time off because I need some time to recharge and reflect and refocus and do all those things that are, um, are do we get a good opportunity to do around the holidays if we choose to take those opportunities and I'm choosing to take them. So, uh, I hope you have all are, uh, are having and continue to have a wonderful and safe and rewarding holiday season out there. So, um, I know I, a couple of things for all, oh, first of all, Want to make sure I thank again this show's generous sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, which if you do not know who they are, they are a, a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area, but getting bigger all the time. And what they do is they provide life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth through the exploration of careers in aerospace. And there are hundreds of possible careers in aerospace, but it's really a program about helping underserved youth really connect with themselves, connect with the possibilities for their own life, learn 21st century skills that can only benefit them no matter what uh, what course they take in life or what career pathway they choose. And it's really an amazing process how they do it, and it's garnering more and more attention from entities around the country as time goes by. You can check them out for yourself, though, at airsci.org, A-I-R-S-C-I.org. And you'll hear more about them during today's commercial break. Thank you so much to them. I can't thank them enough. It is their support that makes this show possible. So thanks to them. All right. So we are going to do a, a year in review. And, and if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know I kick off every show with yeah, two or three uh, news pieces from the past week, talk a little bit about them, and then launch into the topic. I'm going to do something a little different today. One, because it's always fun to mix it up. Two, because it's my show and I can do whatever I want, which is one of the fun things about it. And three, because I think it's just a nice way to uh, to end the year doing something a little different. However, that doesn't mean we aren't going to be hitting, uh, hitting the news. So I've got a s- series of clips today. Rather than doing everything right at the front like I normally do, we're going to spread them out today. And I'm going to use them to talk about this past year and some of the big things that have happened and what I see is kind of some important overall themes and maybe where we're going and who knows. I've got it charted out, but uh, you never know where it's going to go. So let's go ahead and start with that. It's normally a segment I call What in the World is Going On. I'm going to call it for today, 
what has been going down this year. So let's start with the first clip for today. And of course, like it always is, we're going to start with what's happening in Ukraine. The Biden administration is considering sending kits that convert unguided aerial weapons into so-called smart bombs. Now, that's according to officials familiar with the matter. Uh, smart bombs can hit targets with a high degree of accuracy. But at this point, it's unclear if any of Ukraine's arsenal is compatible with the kits. This adds to the Patriot missiles the U.S. is also considering sending. Earlier this week, Russia threatened, quote, unpredictable consequences if Ukraine receives the arsenal. And I realize that's a heck of a way to kick off a show about the end of the year. But nevertheless, it, it does go to show that uh, no matter what the best laid plans are or the expectations for a given year, by the end of it, it can look a lot different than it did at the beginning. When this year started, uh, there wasn't a war going on in Ukraine. Uh, Vladimir Putin had not made a decision at that point, or maybe he had, he just hadn't publicized it. But the world didn't know that he was going to be making a decision to invade his, uh, his neighbor and try to subdue it, expecting he would do it in mere days. And now, of course, it is stretching into months and months and longer. And I've always made it a point to start each show with this since the war started, in part because uh, part of my historical training and my background is in Russian history. And so I'm, I have a lot of knowledge and awareness and interest in its relationship with Ukraine, which has been remarkably troubled for a very, very long time. And also because as time went by and this war dragged on longer and it became something much bigger than just Ukrainians fighting against Russians for their own sovereignty. And instead it became um, a, a big flashpoint for democracy versus authoritarianism, for the unity of, of not only Western countries, but uh, their values and their political interests against that of those who would be willing to wage war against their neighbors. And then as the economic effects continued to ripple out increasingly into the global economy, affecting everything like oil on like oil prices, food prices and availability, uh, political turmoil uh, and social turmoil in not just Russia and Ukraine, but in Europe, but here in the United States and a number of different places. It's, it goes to show that even though we all have our own individual lives and we have to you know show a lot of focus on that, the ripples of what happens elsewhere can affect us directly. And I always want to remind people that I think it's important that it works the other way too. Where And we're seeing that in Ukraine, right? The ripples of responses of people to situations like that go a long way. And I'm not just talking about the decisions of politicians who decide whether or not a country is going to stand up against Russia or not. I'm also talking about the millions upon millions of people who make choices every single day on how they're going to feel about these things. Earlier this year, I had a guest in, Tanya Zyka, who is originally from Ukraine and uh, is based, lives up here in Washington State and has for a very long time. And she has been spearheading a huge local effort that has been remarkably successful here in the Puget Sound area to send relief of all kinds to people in Ukraine, whether they are children, old, young, soldiers, you name it. And she took it upon herself to be a part of a larger effort to help reduce suffering and to help increase the chances of victory for her countrymen in Ukraine. And she's just one of many who have chosen to do that. She's got her very clear way that she wants to do things and how she does them. But everybody has their choices to make. And that gets reflected in our attitudes, in our choices, who we vote for. We had opportunities this year to vote around that in ways that directly affect what's happening there. And so there's so many things about the Ukraine war 
that I think make it for me the single most important thing that has been happening in this past year. Uh, because of not just what's actually happening, that's significant enough, but the larger challenges and symbols that it gives all of us as we confront it. And it can tell us a lot about ourselves how this continues to go. Uh, will international support for Ukraine continue to be strong, even if this moves into a second year, which it seems like it will? And how much further will it go? How will we do watching Ukrainians go through what promises to be a brutal winter as Russia continues to hit their energy infrastructure, knocking out electricity and heat and fuel supplies? Uh, are, there, are there simply going to be the availability of all the weapon systems that the Ukrainian military is going to need? How will things play out in Russia politically and socially for them? There are so many things that we cannot predict. Right? We certainly could not predict the coming of this war, most of us. And so we can't really necessarily predict where it's going to go or how it's going to go, which is, brings us always back to the simple choices that we have in the now. What do I believe in? What am I willing to stand up for? Who am I willing to defend? Who am I willing to help and why? And am I willing to remain steadfast in this? This is the things we have to ask ourselves every single day, whether it's about Ukraine or not. And there's something about this that has made the war much bigger than simply Putin versus Zelensky, Russia versus Ukraine. But of course, we should never lose sight of the fact that the people who it's costing the most and we are asking the most of live in Ukraine. And I'm, my hope is, is we can all continue to embrace them as the people that they are and hope that in some combination of factors, that some of which we can influence, some of which we can't, through that some combination of factors, this war comes to an end in the shorter term and ushers in an era of peace that lasts in the much longer term. So that's why I was Ukraine to me is always the, the, the headliner for my show and will remain so probably for quite some time. Hopefully nothing bigger <laughs> comes along to knock it out of its first spot. Okay, but that was the first one this year. And related to that is the second story that I think is worth reflecting on, not just for the event that it is, but also again, much like Ukraine, what it symbolizes, and it's the ongoing protests in Iran. It's difficult to get a full picture of life in Iran right now, but when a video is published, the eyes of the world are on it. Not since the Islamic Revolution have the Iranian people made their voices heard so loud and clearly, and at such great risk to their lives. Among the fiercest critics, the supreme leader's own niece. Farideh Muradkhani has spoken out harshly against her uncle and called on foreign governments to cut all ties with Tehran. The situation in Iran is uh, equally troubling and inspiring to those observers on the outside. Just earlier this week, the European Union slapped on a whole new series of sanctions on the Iranian government as well as on individuals in the Iranian government as in part, in part uh, as a response to what is happening there. Those, those protests are now entering their fourth month. Uh, about an estimated 18,000 Iranians have been arrested by the regime. Four have already been executed with seven more uh, executions set to be done within the next week, at least according to Iran's state news agency. And the situation there, as I've been talking about every week uh, since they started, the longer it goes, 
the more effect it's probably going to have. Uh, now that the Supreme Leader's own family is speaking out against him, that certainly indicates a level of bravery, safety, and assuredness amongst members of his own family, and by extension, that ripple effect again, more and more Iranians to take these brave steps. Because there are, despite the fact that this many have been arrested and there are people being executed, which is awful, we are talking about a small portion of the millions of people who are taking part in these protests. They're happening in every single region of Iran. It is a, what it is truly the definition of a national protest uprising. Those don't happen very often in very many places around the world. Uh, if you take a look through history, some of the biggest mass movements, sometimes they start in one spot and get bigger and bigger, but rarely do they stay this focused, this broad. There have been more and more people who have come in from trade unions and, and others uh, to support this and remain so focused and so effective and so on message. And, of course, now this being the 21st century, this technically savvy on how to get videos and the like out to the outside world so that the rest of the world has a different narrative to work through, a series of narratives to work through, and simply what the Iranian government chooses to put out there, which is selective, uh, to put it mildly. So to me, what's fascinating about this is, I'm sort of building this, this case here for what I think stands out for, for this year for me, is this underlying symbol and this realization that I've had, and I think what these people are showing, is what I think all of us have on some level, an unending, deep desire to be seen, to feel safe, and to be able to choose our own paths. We could say the same thing about why Ukrainians are fighting so hard against Russia in all this. They're looking for the same thing, to be seen, to be safe, to be able to choose their own paths as a people. We see it what's happening in Iran as well, to the point that these predominantly young people are willing to put their very lives and futures on the line. And not as a symbol, but out of genuine belief that through this mass action, they can make things happen in ways that if they were just trying to do it individually or in smaller, smaller groups, might not work. And there's something about that that underscores what I think are those fundamental desires and needs that we all have to be seen, to be safe, to be able to choose our own paths. To me, what is so fascinating about this is that Iran for many of us in the West is a, <laughs> to, to put a fine line on it is very foreign, meaning in the sense of very outside of our own experience, a, a different culture, a different political system, a different history, perhaps different priorities, different perspectives on ways of looking at things. And yet, these pushes that we see in the most general of terms, we all have in common. The right, we want the right to be able to say when we don't think something is going well in our countries. We want to be able to advocate for change. And unfortunately, when you can't really vote to change it, this is the kind of thing that can happen. You, you can end up with repression and then it takes mass movements like this to make things change. There's no way to know how this will go. But once again, if you rewind to the beginning of this calendar year, nobody saw this coming. Nobody. And if anybody did, the specifics of it were still going to be a mystery. No one knew how this was going to be kicked off, but ultimately a fuse that may have been there for a while in Iran was lit 
with the murder and police custody of that 22-year-old young woman, and it became something much bigger, much more quickly than anybody anticipated, either in Iran or outside Iran. So while that's always, you know, a point of caution for us to remember, we can't predict how these things are going to go or how they're going to go uh, or where they're going to come from, they do happen and they, again, like I said with Ukraine, it takes individuals making very clear decisions for themselves about what they believe in, what they're looking for, what they're willing to stand for, who they're willing to defend, and to do so on a daily basis. And in the case of what's happening in Iran, literally perhaps looking down the barrel of a gun. I find it both sobering and inspiring at the same time. Okay, so now I've got a few more of these to go through, okay, but I'm going to go ahead and give us all a chance to take a deep breath as we review 2022 here on this show is all about you. So come back in a minute and I'll share a few more of these. And I promise you there's some uplifting things at the other end of this. Okay. Be back in a minute. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Don't ask me to talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. All right, welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you, the capper on the 2022 year uh, for this show as I'm taking the next few weeks off. And I hope you're all having a, a wonderful holiday season, staying safe and taking the time to reflect and recharge. What I'm doing today is I'm spending uh, the day going back through over the past year in my own unique way, taking a look at some of the big stories of the past year, the ones that continue to go. We've already talked about Ukraine. We've already talked about Iran, which are two of the ones I focus on the most. Um, let's take another look at something that is really kind of in some ways facing a, a culmination point today, but is about something much bigger than that. And that's, of course, the uh, the January 6th, uh, 2021 insurrection investigation. The January 6th committee will vote today to recommend federal criminal charges against former President Donald Trump for his role in inciting the attack on the Capitol. The committee will make a final public presentation this afternoon, where they'll vote to adopt the report they've spent 18 months compiling and plan to announce referrals to the Justice Department for crimes including obstruction of an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and inciting an insurrection. Of course, since uh, since that news broke this morning, the uh, January 6th committee has since issued its recommendations to the Department of Justice uh, that they take up uh, criminal charges against former President Trump. But what I'm going to talk about isn't specifically that, although I, I think it is worth remembering that we are talking about some really unprecedented things here. The potential indictment of a former president, not just in this is the biggest one, I suppose, but on other charges, too. There's the questions about the uh, classified documents that he was keeping at his Mar-a-Lago estate. 
uh, a number of the difficulties of his financial dealings, his tax returns. There's a whole bunch of stuff here going on. That's unprecedented by itself. We're still talking about a attempted insurrection and attempt to overthrow uh, the uh, political system in this country two years ago, um, a, a election that had been certified, that has been shown time and time again to have been legitimate. It's so easy in this country in particular with all the things that come at us about not only former President Trump, but all of the things that he stands for, everything from his, you know, from his truth social platform to what his followers have to say to what many of his acolytes who, who are in Congress continue to say. There seemingly is always a flashpoint. Right? And it reminds me of when you, if you're standing looking at a bunch of cameras and each one of them is flashing at you, you don't, you, after a while, you just simply can't take it in, right? You get hit with so many things. And yet this whole situation uh, underscores something that I think over the past year uh, has, is worth looking at as well. The United States faced a number of challenges or a number of moments to take a look at what it deems to be its collective soul, or as Abraham Lincoln called it, the soul of the people. It wasn't just the January 6th investigations. There were the midterm elections, right, which went differently than what a lot of people thought. There was, of course, earlier in the year, the massive Supreme Court decision to uh, overturn the Roe v. Wade decision from 1973 in the Dobbs case and send uh, abortion rights uh, uh, policies back to individual states. And that, of course, has in the six months since that happened erupted into a series of political controversies and uh, focus groups and movements either for or against abortion rights in every single state in the union. In the midst of all that, Congress passed a Respective Marriage Act, which overturned the old Defense of Marriage Act to codify into law the legality in all states of interracial marriages and same-sex marriages. Really, what to me is what is amazing is we look back again on the past year, and some may have seen some of these things coming, but not in their totality and not in their detail, not in their contours. And once again, it's a common theme that we run into with all the things we care about, with all the things that we focus on, with all the things that we debate with each other, sometimes fairly, sometimes not fairly. In the end, we simply cannot have any control or any predictive. Uh, ability in any way, really, over how these big questions are going to play out. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't uh, do all those things, that we shouldn't discuss them, that we shouldn't debate them, that we shouldn't care about them. What it does say is that really in the end, what we can do is focus on what we know, how we know it, and how best to talk to other people about it and act on our own behalf in those things. Some people have taken that increasingly to mean more political participation. And that's one of the big changes I've started to see. I'm going to talk a little bit later about another one of these big things, but right now it's uh, it's worth it's worth mentioning that I think the bigger changes and the bigger issues don't really involve former President Trump. They really don't. Uh, he is in many ways a reflection of where there were um, many people were in this country when his political movement really took off, where many found themselves, where many have been emboldened more so than ever before by him. But he was a reflection of a good portion of people that many people in America maybe didn't really know existed, but they do now. Now that he's not some master magician or some fascist Pied Piper, he's not any of those things. Though he is somebody very skilled at manipulating emotions and demonizing um, 
and certainly has a charisma about him that draws attention to him, whether people love him or hate him. Right. And sometimes that can be really frustrating uh, to watch from, from both directions for somebody to continue to get this type of attention, despite all of us kind of knowing what's going to happen. Right. There's very little that the man says or does anymore that if we really think about is really all that surprising based on his track record. But what really does matter here, I think, and what shows to me is there, there have been some shifts that have happened and that continue to happen in all of this. One of the biggest that maybe is sort of under the radar for people is that more and more people in this country are reinvesting in state level politics. Certainly the Roe v. Wade uh, overturn is a big part of that because what had happened in that, a big part of re- why that happened is you had uh, advo- anti-abortion advocacy groups working for years in the halls of state capitals, not worrying about uh, Washington, D.C., but working in state capitals to lobby individual politicians and various groups to put in restrictions or to bring forward court cases that would eventually make it to the Supreme Court. And when it worked out that the Supreme Court was took this very conservative turn, as it did under President Trump, with three uh, uh, appointees on the bench during his term alone, when that happened, the opportunity arose for those efforts by those groups to come to fruition, and they did. But what is happening now is that the opposite is happening. And, and while I've always said on this show that predictions are kind of dumb and we shouldn't make them, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, I predicted back then that there was going to be a backlash that I didn't think conservative anti-abortion advocates were going to be ready for and that it was going to surprise them. And that is happening in some crazy ways. A number of states um, have enshrined abortion rights into their constitutions as a result of what happened back in the summer. More of those efforts are moving forward. And state legislatures, more state legislatures than ever before, shifted during this last election cycle towards those who support abortion rights. And it seems like many Americans, regardless of their party affiliation, voted to protect abortion rights in larger numbers than people anticipated. Although why, I don't know, considering that over two-thirds of the country, almost three-fourths of the country, believes in there being some protections for abortion and rights to it throughout the country. That's a massive number. So what's happening is a response to that um, has really occurred among those who support abortion rights and their ground game is now increasing. Now, in order for that to happen, though, more people have to be mobilized at a local level for that to happen. And certainly those that continue to stand against abortion remain mobilized. What this means, though, is that there's more activity and more advocacy and more uh, political action being taken up by more and more people in more and more places around the country. It is simply not anymore just about electing members to Congress or who we vote for as president. Increasingly, it's a lot more important than that. And really, in the end, that I see as a very positive development, generally speaking. Because what happens in our individual states does matter, but I think if you ask a lot of people in individual states, they might have a better sense of what what might be happening in Washington on the federal level, although that's an open question, than they do in their own states. There might be a shift happening there, at least among those who are inclined to vote, uh, and certainly voting numbers have gone up in the last few election cycles. Unfortunately, it took a lot of upheaval for that to happen and a lot of big challenges to the status quo in our, the American political system and social system and social fabric for that to happen. It'll be interesting to see how people reflect on that and how historians write about it eventually. But there is something there that makes you know everything that's happening, which 
the, the January 6th committee is really just kind of the, the epitome of all these things are that much more important. And how they're going to play out in the next couple of years, we will find out. Okay. So enough with the heavy for now. Let's, let's shift a little bit. Um, let's talk about some really good stuff that's happening. There's one that just happened last week that I was excited to talk about, in part because it kicks off my sci-fi geek, but also because there might be something really fundamentally cool about to happen. And it reminded me something that I think is really important for us to think about at the end of the year. And it has to do with a potentially new energy source. They took 200 laser beams, some of the most powerful on the planet Earth, converged that energy down to a pellet, creating temperatures not seen until you go to the surface of a star. The reported breakthrough involves fusing two or more atoms into one, creating massive amounts of heat and therefore energy. That's different from how nuclear power plants currently generate energy using fission splitting atoms apart, which creates radioactive waste. The goal is to create a limitless and clean source of power that would end our reliance on fossil fuels. So cool. Okay, Star Trek geeks are flipping out on Twitter about this. So are uh, people who like uh, Tony Stark, Iron Man from the MCU. This is something that has been the subject of speculation and literary uh, literary expansiveness in movies and in books and in magazines, stories for decades. Uh, this happened at Livermore Labs in California, and it's the first step in harnessing the power of nuclear fusion as opposed to fission. And the big difference, of course, is that nuclear fusion power is completely clean, and it's the same, it's essentially the same power source as the sun. And in contained versions. And it's, it's a quite interesting uh, process in all this. I won't bore you with the details. But the most important part of this is that it's the first step to perhaps having an energy source that can power everything that we need powered without having to continue to use fossil fuels. Now, put a little bit of a, a, a damper on it. None of this is imminent. There's still a lot of research and a lot of applications that have to go. But what I think is so exciting about this and notable is two parts. One, it's just really cool. The p very chance that this is possible now and there's proof that it's possible is massive. And it should probably be getting more attention than it than even is already. But second, it's indicative of something that's worth remembering as we continue to wrestle with these deep, difficult things going on in the world and around us that I've just spent the first part of the show talking about. And that is in the midst of it all. There are many people in many places doing really important, good work out of the limelight, not looking for the limelight, looking to better the lives of other people through discoveries, innovations, cooperation, you name it. And every once in a while, something big like this comes out of nowhere and grabs the headlines. And there's something that I think we can remember about that is that the headlines, what happens in front of us, particularly in media can dominate our attention to the point that we think that those are the only things going on and that the only things worth knowing about happen to be what, what's coming across our, our television screens or our social media news feeds. And instead, there's a lot more that we can be discovering and know about happening underneath the surface of all this, whether people are talking about it or not. I found this whole thing super hopeful, not just because of the energy news and what's possible out of that, but the very fact that, oh yeah, these people have been working on this for years. So there's people out there doing similar work to tackle diseases like cancer and others who, who knows, we don't know when a breakthrough is going to happen. A breakthrough will happen when a breakthrough happens. 
and then the news will come forward. And there are a whole lot of innovations and changes to improve our lives that maybe don't necessarily reach the news, but we only find out about when they directly affect us in our own lives. And there are people consistently doing that. So despite the, all the different ways we can be pessimistic and down and worried and disconnected about what's going on in the world, here's an opportunity to remember there's plenty of people going against that grain in doing the work that they do on a daily basis. And it just underscores the importance of what each of us, again, choose to do with the life and the opportunities and the ideas and the connections that we have. Notice a the theme building? Okay, good. If not, there's a few more. Uh, let's see, I've got a couple more, but so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit. I kind of addressed this a little bit already, but it's worth talking a little bit, I think, about what next generations behind us are gonna be thinking about. Analysts say Gen Z and millennial voters played a key role in the midterm elections to help Democrats stave off the Republican red wave. While they were a relatively small portion of the electorate, Voters under 30 have shown increased participation in the last few elections and supported Democratic candidates by bigger margins than ever before. All right. Uh, just a real quick snippet there and a real quick snippet here before we take another break. Talked a little bit about this when I was talking about uh, the whole Trump world stuff. But I think it's really important here to address this. There's, there's a tendency, and I fall into this sometimes too, to pretty, be pretty cynical about the generations that are coming up behind me, right? Uh, people roll their eyes at millennials and all those kinds of things. And there's some reasons for that, right? And for all the, um, all the jokes that we make about entitlement and laziness and always in their phones and that type of thing, when you hear stories like that, that there's increased voter participation across the board uh, among young people, it does provide, I think, a ray of light and perhaps an opportunity for us to reframe how we look at younger generations that they do seem to really care about what is happening to them, what's happening around them. And that gives us yet another reason to be really investing in the choices that we make, not just for ourselves, but for those who follow behind us. But one thing I noticed this year, not just through the elections, but through a whole lot of other things, a lot of the, the big meetings around the world for climate change, for example, and certainly looking at organizations like Airway Science for Kids, there are more and more kids getting more and more invested in things that they care about, not just because they like them, but they believe they can actually make a difference in their communities, in their own lives, and in the larger world around them. Younger people tend to think bigger about their possibilities than I think sometimes uh, we give them credit for. And it's worth asking the question sometimes, even though we can dismiss younger people as being naive, what if we took a look at their, what we would call their naivete, and looked at it and saw it instead as an ideal to shoot for. And instead of discouraging that, helping them continue to work towards that and be examples of the challenges that can come up and perhaps better show them how to deal with disappointment, deal with failure, deal with adversity. Those are the things that those of us in later generations can provide. We don't have to say they need to do things differently, they need to change, they need to stop looking at their phones, all those kinds of things. They can make themselves work the way other generations have been able to make themselves work. To me, it's an opportunity for us, I think, to really see those younger generations behind us as maybe having more to offer than we really think. Okay, I got one more for you, and then I'm gonna wrap this up. Um, and it really kind of is gonna drive the point home of what I think really matters most from the past year. So we'll get to that after another short break here on this show is all about you. Stick around. 
kids never have trouble dreaming about their future, the challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. Welcome back to this show is all about you. We are into the final turn of the last show of 2022. Um, we'll be taking the next few weeks off uh, for a well-earned and deserved break, frankly. Uh, but I wanted to finish things off by, by kind of wrapping things up on 2022 with the thing that I think that stands out to me the most about this past year, what I learned from this past year. And it's not really specific to 2022, but it's something that I've seen the most of here and it's in this last clip that I'm going to play for you really quickly. And it's going to be absent of context, which I'll explain in just a minute. But it's really where I want to end today and send you into 2023 from this point. So here it is. In Houston, tears of joy from two brothers surprised with a newly remodeled house. Their community rebuilding after the boys lost both parents. When you walked in the house a month ago, what did you think, Julian? I was honestly lost for words. I didn't think that there would be, you know, these really good people who would do all this stuff. That's just one of many examples that I drew from the standard end of the year stories that are going around right now in the media. And I drew that one from one that was focusing on really good things that happened. And, you know, what's amazing about that is when uh, when the good news portions are played on the news, which is usually at the end of the broadcast after all the bad stuff has been talked about, they put them forward. And it seems to be almost without fail what tends to move everybody the most are these stories of really good things. And they sometimes can feel really small in the big scheme of things. And we put them up against everything that I've just been talking about over the course of this show. And yet I think it's indicative that they perhaps affect us the most deeply when we hear individual stories like that, that one from Houston, Texas. And it was a whole group of strangers that just bounded together after they heard the story of these two brothers who lost their parents and rebuilt their house for them and put that in form. They didn't know any of these people. And if you spend any time looking through, looking for stories like this, you can find individual stories like this in practically every community wherever you were going to look. You can type in a state, you can type in a county, you can type in a country, and you can find them. And there's plenty of really amazing stories to be found in all the things we've already talked about and what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening in Iran, around political participation in this country, around innovation and exploration in, in space or in inner space or, or otherwise. And yet these are the ones that really resonate. And I maybe it's because the year was so heavy and intense in some ways, but I found myself paying more attention and seeking out more of these. Uh, and I asked myself, is it because I really kind of want to inoculate myself or numb myself to all the difficult things going on? 
And I spent some time wondering about that, but for me at least, the answer is, is no. What it is for me, though, is a reminder, once again, like I said with that new energy, uh, new energy discovery, there is so much more going on than what we really realize. And we can only really connect with that if we step back or sit back from everything going on around us, from all the demands of that the external world or all the things that the external world throws at us, really sit back with ourselves for a minute. Experience what's going on within us. And then see from there what truly matters to us. And I try and do this a lot. In fact, I spend a lot of time getting connected with myself every single day. But what's to me most important about all this and what I saw more and more, maybe because I was looking for it more often from a, from a present space, in 2022 was the power and the strength of, I guess, what we could call the human spirit. And across the board, no matter who we are, where we are, how old we are, what we look like, how we behave, what we believe in, we have some things hardwired into us as human beings that connect us, not just in the now, but across space and time. And while we do evolve, we do change, we do integrate new things like multiple sources of, of media availability, exploration of the stars and everything that that means, perhaps new energy sources, that type of thing, new diseases, new challenges like COVID the last couple of years, we integrate and we adjust to all those things. Despite the fact that we change a lot, our baselines have remained the same over time. And there's something really powerful about that, that spirit. And I guess I would encapsulate the last year around this spirit question around, I guess, an ongoing tension, we could call it. Some might call it a battle, but I'll call it a tension, an ongoing tension between our desire and our abilities to connect with ourselves and others versus those stories we can make up about ourselves and others out of fear. And then which ones do we choose to act on? Which ones do we choose to base our beliefs on or base our votes on or shape our conversations with our loved ones and our friends or total strangers around? Do we come from the side of the ability and desire to connect with ourselves and others or from fear? Fear oftentimes gets more attention. It can trigger really quickly and leap up in flame a lot faster sometimes than, than desire for connection and patience can. But nevertheless, that is where I see the key tension in every single story, every single thing going on in the world in 2022, and I would say going back in time and will continue going forward, has a basis somewhere in that tension, in that dynamic. And everything I've talked about today shows the consequences of both. The desire and the ability to connect with ourselves and others and to protect those things, those things, our desire to be safe, our desire to be seen our desire to choose things for ourselves can come from <laughs> that desire and ability to connect with ourselves, or it can be fed by fear, which is about separation and protection. So let me push other things away, other people away, other ideas away and secure myself and those around me. That's where echo chambers start. And that's where intolerance and tension and conflict and violence ultimately can erupt from. So if you pick anything, you can probably find some examples of this, both as motivation as at consequences. 
Sometimes the choices really are that simple when we get away from the noise. When we take a step back from where everybody tells us we should be or where external events tell us we should be and take a good look at exactly where we are in this moment and who we are and what we have around us, our responsibilities, our friends and loved ones, our families, our employment, our activities, you name it. And they all have one thing in common no matter where we are, whether we are sitting in the studio like I am, we're on the streets of a city in Iran, hunkering down in a barn under fire in Ukraine, screaming at each other across a picket line, wherever we might be, the only place we can start and really stay and really do anything from is exactly the spot where our feet happen to be at this given moment. Who and where we are right now. How we are right now. Why we do what we do and say what we say and believe what we believe right now. As I said, we are evolving beings, certainly. <laughs> and we're constantly learning how to integrate and regulate our emotions, new information, big changes in the world, particularly those things that come along unexpectedly that can easily kick up fear. Fear of loss, fear of, lo fear of loss is a really powerful one, right? Loss of money, loss of means, uh, loss of meaning, loss of a sense of the past. All these things come up quite a bit. But if we know that really what is here is what we've got, and then we can take the extra step to recognize that 99.999% of the time at any given moment, whatever might be happening going on, we are actually okay. Whether we're being hit by a really difficult situation or not, most of the time we can be okay with where we are. Even if we don't like it, even if we don't like what's happening, we don't like how we're feeling. And if we can start from that vantage point, instead of trying to spend a whole lot of time worrying about what can be done in Ukraine or how things will uh, play out in Iran or what will go on around former President Trump or whatever and all the stories we make up from that. If we can step away from that and recognize that in the end, all we can control are our responses to that and then how that affects ourselves and those around us, we will be in a better starting point. And when I look back on a year of this show, that's really what I found myself gravitating more and more towards is coming back to that reality of even my statement earlier this year that predictions just don't make any sense is based in that. In the end, trying to predict something is going to happen can be a form of trying to exert control over a desired outcome and hoping that it will be that, almost trying to will it into existence by finding all the reasons why something might happen or something will happen. And the flip side can happen too, where we find all the reasons why something won't or can't. We can tell ourselves all these terrible messages about ourselves or the people around us or the place we live or the place somebody else lives because we just say for whatever reason, well, that's just been in their culture or that's just their history or that's just how people are. We can easily try and predict that to set up low expectations for ourselves and for others so that nobody is disappointed if something goes wrong. And then if something happens as a surprise, it's not a sign of anything other than maybe an anomaly, right? An exception that proves 
the rule. It's setting the bar really low for human possibility in everything. And the reason why I think a lot of people do that is because, you know, there's, it could be out of an emotional response to difficulties they themselves have faced, but also underneath it, it can be a way to protect oneself from having to have those difficult moments to sit with oneself, recognize that there aren't a whole lot of things that each of us can control beyond ourselves, and that we don't necessarily have a way to control what happens with all the external events that seem to draw our attention all the time. It's probably one reason, too, why we can pour ourselves into things like I talked about a few weeks ago, into rooting for sports teams to the point that our days can be ruined or made depending on how that sports team does, whether they win or lose that day. It's a way to try to exert control over something, to find identity in something. And perhaps the challenge we run into and that fuels a lot of these difficulties that we see in ourselves and around, around us in our communities and in the world has to do with looking for all those things in the wrong places. We look for them from those external things, that meaning, that assignment from others, instead of looking at it in ourselves. And to me, we miss a huge opportunity <laughs> to really anchor all those things and to really establish an identity for ourselves in who we actually are when we don't focus on right where our feet are right now, how we are right now, recognizing that we can change, that we have a lot of choice in what we believe, what we choose to do, where we choose to go. So I think of things like, you know, when I reflect on this, do we know what we value and why? It's a question to ask. Do we connect and treat well those that are closest to us? Do we know how we feel from moment to moment about anything? Can we see joy and beauty alongside those examples of pain and ugliness and cruelty that seem to, to compete for our attention all the time? Do we respond more than we react to various things? Do we know how to say, I'm sorry, and please, and thank you, and I see you, and I hear you, and above all, I love you? Can we say all those things to others and to ourselves? If we can't say them to ourselves, it's going to be really difficult to say them to others, at least from a real connected space. Other things that come up that I think about from this space. Can we let go of whatever desired outcome we have for something, either in the world or in our own lives, and point ourselves instead in the healthier directions of connecting with ourselves and with others so that whatever comes, whenever it comes, it can help us and guide us and bring us those things we desire and need absent of our own agenda. I think it sometimes we appreciate the things that surprise the hell out of us a lot more than the things that we've been working for and hoping for and expecting and then accomplish. There's reward in accomplishing those things we set out to do, certainly. But the times that I've been moved to my core, the deepest are when things unexpected happen. And then I realize some of them happen because I put myself in a healthy position for them to happen and for me to respond positively to them and then to be able to give to others from them. Some might call that faith in God or the universe, and there is certainly that a part of this. There are external things like that, in my opinion, that can connect us. But it's also, at its core, a faith in ourselves and in our own abilities to grow, connect, change, advocate, defend ourselves without it all being at the expense of other people 
and in the end, of course, at the expense of ourselves. That, to me, is the key. And you can say it comes from a God-given spirit or from just evolution or from nothing or it's a construct of our minds or whatever. Pick, pick your definition. It still doesn't change the core fact that that's really what we all have, an ability to choose, to grow, to connect, to change, to advocate and defend for ourselves and for others without it being at the expense of others. And it's not easy. It's particular to time and place and situation. But what a starting point that would be if we both recognize, if we all recognize that or more and more of us acted from that space. Because we'd better recognize where we start and stop and where somebody else begins. We'd better be able, I think, to tolerate and accept people's differences, to be able to have conversations that don't have to end in agreement or a beatdown of somebody's position. And finding commonalities on a local and increasingly larger and larger basis about the things that fundamentally matter the most to the most of us that are worth defending. Even if sometimes we don't always get what we want. And when I look at past history through that lens, what I see (laughs) is human beings have always started and ended there. And that that tension between fear on one side, protection and connection on the other is really at the core of that human experience. We saw it this year in many ways. And my, I'll hazard a guess that we will see it more in the year to come. So as I close 2022, thank you for listening to this episode of This Show is All About You. Please be sure to check out my website, wordsbyjdk.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also find this episode and any other episodes of this show wherever you find your podcast. Thank you for subscribing and leaving me a review. I appreciate it. Be sure to check out airside.org to learn more about this show's wonderful sponsor, Airway Science for Kids. And as my last list of thank yous for the year, here we go. This show is all about you. It's produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Thank you to them for believing in me. Eric Ryder is my in-studio producer, editor, and mix master. Eric, I cannot thank you enough, but thank you anyway. The show is made possible by Airway Science for Kids. They're awesome. Thank you so much to them. And big thanks to Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media for the show's original music. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week and this past year has to go to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Stacey Heller, Brucey Flom, Bruce Flommer, Alona Murley, uh, Bruce Bullard, Ashley Kniebel, Seth Moorman, Phil McCoy, Cesar and Martine Garcia, Ken Zick, Kirsten O'Malley, Emily McFetridge, Annalena Popescu, Kelly Lynch, Rick Riz, Bru- uh, Ken and Margaret Winnikin, Mary Wilson, The Foster Four, Antoinette Bernardo, Brandon Olson, Dr. Mark Atkinson, Jason Gary, Jay Parker, Stephen Crozier, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Special thanks to TNT for playing the continued tradition of A Christmas Story nonstop for 24 hours. I know a lot of people hate that movie, but I love it. Special thanks to all those nonprofits out there working to help people in need. Make sure you take care of yourself as much as you're working to take care of others. And special thanks to the late Anthony DeMello, whose spiritual works have changed my life. If you don't know DeMello, check out his book, Awareness, and you'll get a good start. And to you listeners, thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. Let's end 2022 with an original haiku. Here we go. Ending the year on a high note requires we also hum the low ones. Happy holidays and chins up, everyone.